Welcome to the Waco Suck. I am your host, Austin Meek. I am Julia Meek. And Wendy Gragg. And we are joined in the studio today by Emily Mills. Emily, thank you for joining us on the Waco Suck, where we talk about that very palpable tension (laughs) that you feel after you live in the city for a while. First you go here, low expectations, and then it eventually just keeps pulling you in. Sucks you in. It It sucks. So where are you from, Emily? Originally, I'm from Tyler, Texas, about two and a half hours east on 31. And I came to Baylor in 1996 and got sucked in. To Waco. (laughs) Go ahead and tell the listeners what exactly you do, and then we can rewind. Yeah, great. So, um, well, the reason I'm here today, so I do a lot of things, actually, but um, the reason I'm here today is because we started this little thing called Jesus Said Love uh, about 12 years ago, and we're a ministry that exists to awaken hope and empower change to women in the commercial sex industry, namely strippers. Uh, and women who have been impacted by the commercial sex industry at large. So, yeah, we go love and connect. Um, We go into clubs all across Texas, and we love them right where they're at, no strings attached, and then we connect them to community and spiritual resources if they're still in the industry or when they're ready to transition out. We basically just form relationships. That's great. Mm -hmm. So what's the backstory behind all this? Yeah, so... When uh, when I came to Baylor in 96, um, you know, as a college kid, like, you're trying to figure your life out and figure out what you want to do. So I was a communications major, um, really kind of had a heart to serve people, but I wasn't sure kind of what context. And the other thing that I was trying to figure out is if I wanted to sing forever. Um, I had grown to develop a love for singing and vocal performance. Um And then I got involved with a large group Bible study here. It used to be Choice Ministries, which was founded by Louis Giglio way back in the 90s. And then he left and uh, moved to Atlanta to do Passion and all that. And and then Touchstone took over, and I met my future husband there. Um, I hated to be one of the statistics of the Baylor girls who, you know, meet someone at Baylor and like gets married after college. I was like, gag, you know, (laughs) I'm not going to be that. And so I did an internship in New York and like tried to be cool and Waco and Brett (laughs) sucked me, you know, sucked me in. But it was a really powerful thing. But but really, we we thought that what we were going to be doing was writing music and leading worship uh, full time for the rest of our lives together. And we ended up in Austin in 2003. We'd had our first little girl, and we were singing at a like a women's benefit thing and uh, ended up hearing stories of women in the commercial sex industry. And I was like, what in the world? Like, I had no idea of the plight. You know, everything I'd been fed about this industry was through culture and media and magazines and, you know, Playboy and, and Hustler and all those just things came to my mind of the glamorization of this industry. So to hear these women's stories was like mind-blowing. And so I looked at Brett and I was like, hey, it's two weeks till Easter. Let's put some gift bags together and there's three strip clubs in Waco. Maybe we can get in and go. And he was like, seriously? <laughs> <laughs> like me go or just you? Like how are you, how are you envisioning this? And um, I said, no, like you you drive us. You know, anything goes down in the parking lot, like, you'll be there. And, uh, and you need then, some muscle. You know. Yeah. And um, I didn't know. I didn't. I had no idea what we would be walking into, but I knew kind of this crystal clear, like, 
this is what you're supposed to do. And so um, that was 12 years ago, and we've had open door just extension of welcome ever since we went into the clubs here and really didn't see it going beyond um, Waco. We just kind of thought, well, we'll continue to write music, we'll continue to do worship, we'll continue to do kind of our original talent calling thing. And, um, and then it just continued to just explode. And what ended up happening was we really realized that, you know, you're, you're given a talent to never be used selfishly for yourself. What we realized is the reason that, you know, we were wired in such a way for the creative arts was to tell a bigger story that we could ever personally tell of ourselves. And so, we kind of consider ourselves keepers of the story, you know, the story of women that um, I realized so many of them, their stories had never been heard. And so I wanted to write songs for them. I wanted to create opportunities and space for them to tell their story. And that's really how JSL began, was just giving them a voice, giving them a space. Like, how do we advocate for them, even socially and culturally? So, yeah. I have to tell you, I've been fascinated with Jesus Said Love since um, the Trib wrote about Jesus Said Love. Do you remember when Erin did the story? It was several years ago. Okay. Anyway. Refresh me. Well, she did a story, and that was the first time it came on the radar of a lot of us at the Trib. Mm-hmm. And then as I heard more about it, um, mm-hmm. my favorite thing is how you guys go into the clubs with no judgment. Mm-hmm. And... I think often related with ministries or related to to religion, um, you see judgment of people's lifestyles. Yeah. And and I've told you this before. Yeah, totally. Um, but I love that you don't go in there telling these people what's wrong with their life and that they're evil and they have to change. You just go in there to love on these girls. Yeah. And, and that's whenever I tell anyone who doesn't know about Jesus said love, I'm like that the non-judgment blows my mind. Yeah. Was that a big piece from the beginning that you just wanted to go in there and have no preconceived notions and no, mm-hmm. no judgment and just, mm-hmm. I mean, why did you set it up that way? Um, because I feel like that's my experience with God. <laughs> I feel like um, at my core of understanding of of my own rescue that it makes absolutely no sense to demand um, a return for unconditional love. Um, And so if I really believe that God's love is big enough for each person, that it's it's big and yet it's, it's so relational and it's so... Um, one-on-one, if I really believe in the power of it, then it's not something I have to convince or sell. I'm not selling snake oil. I'm not selling religion. I'm, I'm, I'm not even selling Jesus. I mean, I, I am basically inviting people to experience the same love that I've experienced. Um, one of my favorite women that we work with um, who would just rip this show up in a wonderful way. Um, But she is, um, I I wish she was here with me to share part of her experience, but she's an atheist. We're great friends. She was in the industry for a long time, but, but, you know, she, she's an atheist and yet she, she was at Wild Torch. I mean, she advocates for our ministry. She loves what we do. Um, Never am I trying to change or convince her 
um, my responsibility to another person is to share the love of Christ. That's it. That's the bottom line is to extend the same love that's been shown to me through God. Yeah, that's a great point because so many of these religious organizations – main purpose is proselytizing, uh-huh. whereas it seems like the focus that you guys have taken is simply sharing the love of Christ through actions, not necessarily mm-hmm. through um, through through words, like right. I'm going to lead you to this and you're going to receive this crazy change, even if all you receive is a warm meal from me. Right. Like that should be enough. And you can yeah. trust that God is big enough to minister to that person's yeah. heart and get them in a way where your words might not be able yeah. to. It really, you know, there's no way I, I don't. Well, I do know. I know that people who um, who have been in ministry who feel like it's their job to change or fix people, there's a break and there's a burnout that occurs. Sure. The the way that we're able to sleep at night, there's the stories that we hold of the suffering and the abuse. There is no way I could sleep at night if I felt like this was dependent upon me or us or, or one organization or even a collection. of. It's bigger than all the organizations in the whole world. The evil and injustice that has to be done. There has to be a greater God that can that can handle and hold this. And so that's that's how I sleep at night is knowing this isn't up to me to fix. It's up to me to do what I'm responsible to do and do my part and then trust God with the rest of it. So what are the conversations like that you have with the managers of these clubs? Because I assume you need to ask them, check if it's okay for you all to come in. What's their response? Yeah, our policy has always been total transparency from the get-go. So like 12 years ago, I, I mean, I had like, I would wake up in cold sweats in the middle of the night because I was so terrified of like asking permission from these club managers because I thought, is this like run by the mafia or like what are we, you know, like I don't know. Like my con- concept of who these men or women were going to be was just a really scary concept. And um, so I'd practice kind of my speech over and over in my head. And I we said we're going to practice full disclosure. We're going to bring a sample gift bag. We're going to show them any material that we put in there. We, are, we were going at Easter, so we included a New Testament. There's no doubt. I mean our shirts say Jesus loves strippers. They know we're Christians. Um, if you will. And so we we weren't hiding that. And so we just we went in and we said, this is this is what we feel like we're supposed to do. It's what we'd love to do, but we will not come without your permission and we will honor your patrons. We won't interfere with them. We're not trying to get girls to leave. We're not trying to get your your patrons to quit coming. Um, we are here to simply share the love of God. And they were like, how much is this gift bag going to cost me? You know? <laughs> and I was like, nothing. They were like, so you're not selling anything. I was like, no. And they were like, well, what's the catch? And I was like, well, there is none. And they said, so you're telling me that you think God has told you just to come into this club and give gifts, like give free gifts to our women? And I was like, I am. I know that sounds so crazy. It sounds crazy to me just saying, just hearing you say it makes me look really crazy. And they were like, okay, um, you can come. You, I cannot guarantee how our women are going to respond to you. And then that was the second set of waiting and freaking out because I was like, oh, my gosh, what do you mean? What are they gonna? So I was really nervous about engaging the women. So is this the first time you went? This is the first time. Are you by yourself? 
I had one of my best friends with me, Dawn Weibel, um, and she and I both went together on that first outreach to ask permission and, and go to the clubs. And, you know, there were some women who didn't want to talk to us, but for the most part, we were greeted with hugs and, oh, my gosh, you, these bags are so nice. And we had stuff in there for their kids and, you know, stickers and Easter stuff. It was just it was great. I mean, we just. So did you take this into their dressing room? Yes. Usually that's what we do is we, okay. we go kind of straight. Our our policy is really not to interfere with a lot that's going on in the floor. Um, but sometimes they're not out. And if it's a slow night, we're just kind of up at the bar hanging out with the, you know, because we do bring food items, too. And the bouncers and DJs love the brownies or cookies, whatever, <laughs> cupcakes, like whatever you bring. Like, yeah. Um, and then at holidays, we do homemade pies like Harris Creek, a church here, does all the women and I guess probably some men, too. But they they bake these amazing um homemade pies that we get to bring in and Christmas we do Rudy's barbecue and everybody loves that and so it's just it's really just an extension of community just saying you're not forgotten you know you're seen and the community sees you and we see you well and um the latest in this entire endeavor is your facility on Columbus Avenue tell us about that yes we're super excited I was just at the building before I came over here um, because construction's on the way and um, great things are being done so really the vision behind this building we are we were blown away because we had a donor step forward and buy the whole thing for us Um, and so really all we had to raise was our renovation budget and so it's built like the like a bunker it's like total concrete mid-century mod like concrete cylinder wall bunker but um, it was used as a production facility before, but now one side of it will be kind of program. It'll be case management. We'll have an on-site counselor. We'll actually have um, Baylor is donating um, fitness equipment for us to use so that we can have a fitness facility for our women and our staff just to go along with our holistic approach to healing. Um, it'll have a group training facility. We'll be able to do mock interview training. We'll be able to do computer skills, life skill training. Then on the other side of the building, I'm super excited because uh, we've got a commercial kitchen going in. And that commercial kitchen will be kind of a three-part use. We'll rent it out to food trucks. It'll be kind of a commissary kitchen for food trucks and caterers to use and rent out, which will create revenue for our programs. But it will also be a place where we have nutritionists or food advocates come in and teach our women and the community like um, healthy living, healthy nutrition on a low budget. One of the things we do at our retreat programs is we teach the women how to take low budget items and create healthy meals for their families. About 80% of our women are mothers. And so um, that was such a huge hit. They were like, we want to know how to cook more. We want to know how to make this salad dressing. We want to know how to make this yummy salad. My kids loved it. And so the commercial kitchen will be awesome. And then we can also create our own food to take into the club so it increases volunteer mobilization. But the very front of the building on the others in front of the commercial kitchen on the other side from our program side is going to be a love store. And this store will expand our apparel line, but we'll also be able to employ our dancers who are wanting to transition out. Um, And we have one dancer, for instance, who's super interested in jewelry. So we're going to be talking to her about creating specific products that we can sell in the store to hopefully launch her own business through that social enterprise. That's so great. Yeah. So y'all are really fostering them using creative talents to heal their heart. Yeah, I think that, you know, 
when when we look at um, what we know now that we didn't know 12 years ago about the the commercial sex industry and commercial sex exploits is that we know that um, 69 percent and I would say that's a low number but nationally the statistic is 69 percent of women in the industry suffer from PTSD which is post-traumatic stress disorder um, that's a rate equivalent to veterans of combat war so they've experienced either on the job or in previous life experiences some sort of trauma and so what happens to the brain with trauma is that usually you're going to go for getting those dopamine and adrenaline rushes in unhealthy ways right I mean that's why addiction's huge with people who've experienced trauma or sex addiction even things like that because your your body is needing that chemical reaction to that stimulus and um so what we're finding is that our women are amazing risk takers because they need a little bit of that risk and they need that rush that they actually aren't fearful as much of taking like entrepreneurial risk or creative risk. Oh, that's awesome. But it's got like a healthy reward attached to it. So they can get that same high and they can get that same. I mean, you talk about a woman who has survived like the average lifespan we have some women who've been who've experienced human trafficking they didn't know they were being trafficked by their mom to sell drugs they didn't know that's what that was they just thought my mom made me sleep with her boyfriends for drugs and but now she's 25 years old you know she doesn't know she's been trafficked so the average lifespan of that girl is seven years but here she's 25 and she's survived so you're like how have you survived this long like statistically you should be dead you should have committed suicide you should have died of a drug overdose but you didn't you're here you're in the clubs now and so what we're finding with them is that they are if they can hustle for a drug if they can hustle for anything that's unhealthy if you attach a positive reward to it they will outwork anyone I mean the women that we have known who have made that leap into an entrepreneurial endeavor, they're out hustling any, I mean, anyone I've ever seen. They're going to wow. just work day and night for it. So um, it's just amazing. I, our women are really like teaching us. Every program we've created is because they've said, hey, you need to look into this. Hey, this is what the women in the clubs are experiencing. You need to provide jobs. We need a safe place to work out. We're tired of getting hit on it. Gold's gym. You know, we're whatever. Join the club. You know? <laughs> yeah. I'm telling right, you. Austin? I'm there just doing my squats. You're just like, everybody me wants over in the me. corner. It's it's hard. It is hard. It's hard to be a hustler sometimes. You that's know? so that's so cool. Um in seeing that you don't pigeonhole these girls. Because mm-hmm. I think that is what you're saying is so true. So many people just need an opportunity to show different colors. Mm-hmm. Like we experience that on the truck all the time with the majority of our student of the people who work there are Baylor kids and if you tell them to do one thing they'll mm-hmm. do that but if you sort of just start opening that box a little mm-hmm. bit and let them be, get creative for instance we just started a Snapchat account for Pokios mm-hmm. Pokios Waco if you're interested <laughs> but it's been awesome to see how many of these kids have taken ownership of that and like we'll I'll get an update later and Someone made a little stop motion animation video on Snapchat cool. using cookies or yeah. I mean anything like that. If you let people think that you believe they can do something, yeah. it's incredible to see what, what they'll step up and do. Yeah. This is definitely I mean, I think because Brett and I, like I said, originally, you know, our background is in the creative arts. Like we're drawn, we are creatives, we're we're visionaries in that regard. But um everything that has grown out of this is always going to have some sort of creative element 
to it. And especially in the younger generation, you know, as far as working with millennials, I mean, they're they're outside the box thinkers, mm-hmm. you know, and I love that. I love that. Um, yeah, we get to basically just provide a framework and a space, but everything can be rewritten, you know. Um, well, and I love that you're not going in there saying you're broken. These are all the ways you're broken. Right. I lo- and I hadn't even thought of it that way. But yeah, I mean, these are these are people who are scrappy mm-hmm. and 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 they have hustle mm-hmm. and all of these. There, there are all these qualities they've had to um, to strengthen for survival, but you can turn those into working for them in a really great way in their lives. I hadn't even thought about that. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is about Rahab, you know, who was a known prostitute in the Old Testament. And basically the, the Israelites are getting ready to like come upon Jericho and they need that city and they're wanting to, to get in in the city. And so they send these two spies and uh, they end up in Rahab's house because, you know, two God-fearing men are gonna <laughs> sometimes business trip. Business trip <laughs> sometimes they're gonna end up, you know. So I had some questions there reading the Old Testament. You know, like really, what are you doing in Rahab's house? But what you find is that Rahab. It says this one little line in there says she lived within the city wall, and the wall is what needed and what would three days later crumble. But it's also what gained gave her strategic access to be able to see. And to be able to hide the spies, to be able to tell them. And I think how interesting that this woman of like, ooh, you know, scary prostitute reputation ends up her blood commingling with the Savior of the world, Christ. She literally is recounted in Matthew in the lineage of Christ. And I just think that's such a redemptive story. And it really shows that um, God was never discrediting them. You know, that all along, these women in this industry, um, some might... Yeah, we call it hustle or we call it, you know, strategic. You know, they're strategic mm-hmm. thinkers. And you might negatively call it, oh, well, they're manipulate, you know, manipulative in some way. It's like maybe they just know how to get what they need mm-hmm. <laughs> in order to survive. And mm-hmm. so it's really been cool. So what's the primary difference between a dancer that you'll meet today versus a dancer that you would have met 12 years ago? I mean, is it same? it's the same thing mm-hmm. but just different names or – you know, that's a great question. Um, I would say the the makeup of who she is, first of all, what's different is my understanding of her. Um, my understanding of her is a lot less naive and a lot more open to being taught by her. But what's also different is um, we are seeing an alarming rate, like almost cannot keep up with how many women are wanting to get out of this industry. Some of it is because I think we're progressing as a society to really understand that this this type of industry has a negative impact on communities and cultures when mm-hmm. we really peel back the layers and look at what we're asking women to do for survival, for, for money. We're saying you don't have any other choice if, if you're poor. If you don't have a job, it's okay to sell your body. And what we want communities to say is, no, that's not it. That should never be the resort that a woman has to resort to. Um, So I think that the education emphasis that communities are becoming aware of the human trafficking crisis, which comes through the commercial side a lot of times, um, a, a a dancer today is always going to be asked to to have sex. Um, it's it's ne- 20 years ago, 
women, it was a gentleman's club that they were coming in for a lap dance. Um, that is not the industry that we're seeing today. And, um, and even if, even if, even if all it was, was a lap dance where, where it leads is continually more and more, becomes more and more violent. Um, so I would say the biggest difference is what she's being exposed to, even in the music that they're, that they're playing, even in the music that they're asked to, to, to dance to is incredibly violent against women. And so I think that becomes a big difference. Um, Okay, speaking of music, I'm gonna I want to derail us for just a minute, um, because before we started recording, um, Austin was bearing his soul to us that he <laughs> loves divas like Christina Aguilera and all the other divas. Um, anyway, but um, so I want to know, uh, music that's your jam, mm-hmm. uh, pun intended, and um, so <laughs> what is your favorite music that you? that you tell people that you listen to? And then what is your favorite music that you don't tell people that you mm. listen to? Um, and maybe you tell people about all the music you like, because clearly Austin has no shame connected to his love of divas. <laughs> which is, that's fantastic. I mean, I'm a Wilson Phillips fan, so <laughs> oh, I, I yeah. have no room to talk. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, so tell us about mm. your, your musical druthers. And then along that line, is there a song that you hear when you're at the club and it's like, I got to get up on stage? <laughs> It's like, you know, Two Chains comes on uh-huh. and it, it just puts something inside of you. Right. Yeah. Um, hmm. Okay. So we, we all kind of unashamedly have an affection for R&B, maybe. Woo. I don't know. And, um, and I think that's great. It's soul. It's, it's a good beat, too. So I've been recently just re-loving, like totally forgot this album existed and I don't know how because it was so amazing. And it's the miseducation of Lauren Hill. Oh yes. yeah, <laughs> preach! <laughs> I'm like, she was so stinking ahead of her time. Mm-hmm. I mean, she preaches on that album. Mm-hmm. So my favorite one. We're working at Brett and I are singing at the opening of the Silos this weekend. Cool. On the awesome. 30th and the 31st. So we'll be there from one to three. And so we have this version of "She Works Hard for the Money." That we did on an, an older album. But I was like, Brett, we need to work in there like that. Guys, you know you better watch out. Some girls, some girls are only about, you know, that thing, that thing, that thing. <laughs> so I'm loving that album. And I wish to God I could rap, but I can't. I mean, it's, it, is, it would be horrible. Isn't that horrible. every white girl's dream? I yeah, mean, totally. Yeah. My other, like, secret. Oh, okay, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I've seen, um, you know, I love, I do, I love some Americana music, too. Patty Griffin's a hero, just because I think her storytelling, you know, is amazing. I love David Ramirez, too, um, who are just great singer-songwriters who, you know, preach through music in their own way. But um, music I'm a little embarrassed about would be, oh, gosh, you know, Okay, I do every <laughs> once in a while, every once in a while, I will turn on uh, 95.7 here mm-hmm. just to get a taste of the oldies and make <laughs> oh, my yeah. children, like, listen to it. So, um, and Wait, so, there's supposed to be shame attached to that? I'm, well, I'm feeling bad now. <laughs> I think some <laughs> I of it. the songs that I get really excited about, um, Lionel Richie, Woo! you know, mm-hmm. it's... I don't know. It's just a little, I don't know. 
sometimes Girl, it's no a little. I like Ario Speedwagon, so, you know. Um, okay, yes. We were just talking about Richard Marks the other day. Oh, my goodness. Wait, what? what's the song, the Richard Marks song? Um, it's right so sad. Oh, right. right Here Waiting. Right. Y'all are too old for me. you go, whatever you do. And there's cheesy piano. Waiting for you. You know it. I know yeah. it. That's I was awesome. a big fan of Delilah back in the day. Oh, yes. <laughs> Delilah. Hi, kids. Welcome to Delilah. <laughs> Tonight we've got heartbreak. I'm to transition this into. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that answers your question. So this is changing subject again, if you're okay, okay with that. But hey, just precursor. We're okay with changing subjects on cool. this. You can do that. Well, it's going back to the previous subject. But are there dancers who, in recovery, want to continue dancing? Oh, yeah. But mm-hmm. in their own way? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, the the work and the services that we do aren't contingent upon whether or not the women leave the industry. Right. Um, we can continue to extend care now. We do have, like, uh, we've got a transition fund called the Dixie Fund. It's named after one of our dancers who made an incredible change and was tragically killed in a motorcycle accident. And it's a fund established in her name that um, provides financial support to women who are trying to make that leap. So um, that is contingent upon, if they apply for those funds, that then they're saying, I- I'm ready to make the switch. And I know it's going to be hard and financially I'm going to take a hit. So... That's where that fund comes in. We don't allocate those. We don't allocate Dixie's money, you know, for women who are saying, no, I'm just I'm going to still continue this. But we'll still we do our retreat programs. And of course, once the buildings open, I mean, it's it's a place of belonging, a place where they can come and feel supported and and loved. And obviously our even our resources for outsourcing them um, to different counselors in town and um, job training and things like that, those aren't contingent upon right. whether or not they leave. Um, and we always like to say that, you know, this, motivationally speaking, unless a person is willing to own where they're at and own where they want to go, then then there's never going to be really successful change. It's like if we walked in and to our friend and said, you're an alcoholic, you need to change, and so I'm going to put you in a rehab facility, well, great for 28 days but then they're done and that motivation has to be there for them to want something different but what we what we find is that to even have that faith to to want to change a lot of the fear has to be eliminated the fear of the unknown and that can only come from belonging to one another and to having a community that's safe for them to dream again and we always ask them we're like when you were little what did you dream about growing up being you know it's never where they're at now um but it's it's so fun to just ask like what do you want out of life like where where are you really going or why did you start dancing maybe it was to get through school you know why did that stop how can we help you you know in your continuing education so what's the most common name you hear at these clubs (sighs) dixie candy jasmine Hmm. hmm that's a good question um Hard-hitting journalism over here. There you go. You're, yeah. I, I, I feel like there's a lot of uh, fruit and 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 flavor names. Yeah, like cinnamon, scents. Cinnamon, yeah. chocolate, mm-hmm. strawberry. 
you know yeah. um juniper breeze it's never like hey jasmine this is, is another one. jennifer totally yeah totally yeah sheila you're needed over on all three yes there is yeah i mean it's just it's an alter you know identity mm-hmm. for them to protect themselves so i think it's whatever they feel right. safe creating you know, and coming up with. So most everybody has a dancing name. And then oh they, yeah, okay. and we don't ever ask for their real name unless they're willing to tell it. Like, mm-hmm. that's a huge risk. And you know, we feel honored when they give us their real names. You know, and they're like, "Well, really, my name's Stephanie." You know, we're like, "Oh, okay, it's awesome." And I hear you using the word dancer and not the word stripper. Yeah. What's the difference between those two? I mean, um, I think. Politically speaking, you could say, like, adult entertainer is another thing is, you know, probably what they use a lot. They call themselves, you know, strippers. Um, And our shirts say Jesus loves strippers because basically we were taking a very polarizing, two polarizing terms, stripper and Jesus, and putting them on one T-shirt together through love. Mm -hmm. Um, So... You know, we know that it has a negative connotation um, to it because it's been largely, they've been largely degraded, you know, in society. But they call themselves strippers, dancers, exotic dancers, adult entertainer. Yeah. But coming up with the term, you know, when we start saying, do you realize that once we start doing a little more education, like, of what the industry is, you know, it's interesting because we can all live, like, in a culture and not ever know what we were experiencing. So... Until we move away from maybe that culture and we start going, oh, that's why I did this because it was common practice. Or So I think really educating and, and giving them the power. I mean, knowledge is power. And so being able to empower them through knowledge and through education is huge. Because when we start saying commercial sex exploit, they're like, wait, what? Wait, yeah. I'm part of what industry? What is the commercial sex industry? It's like, well, it's pornography, it's prostitution, it's strip clubs, it's massage parlors that sell, you know, sex acts. It's, it's all of it. And so, um, anything that has sex attached, sex for sale, uh, you know, attached to money. So, that's that becomes really empowering because then they're like, I'm a part of a statistic. I didn't know that. I was just doing what I needed to do, you know. Mm -hmm. So knowledge really is power. So what has working with these girls shown you about yourself? I'm sure you've gone through a lot of transformations personally. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, I was telling this to a friend of mine. She has a book called Dancing with the Devil, and her name's Annie Donawald. And her dad was like a um, college, uh, the Hoosiers College. Indiana. Um, yeah. He was assistant coach with Bob Knight. And she has this amazing story of her entrance into the commercial sex industry and working in Chicago area and Vegas and all that. And anyway, we, we met and, um, she was like, so how long were you a dancer? And I was like, oh, I, I wasn't. She was like, what the hell are you doing here then? <laughs> you know, like, why are you here if, if this is not part of your story? And why do you think you can make impact? And, um, so I was like, well, um, originally I think I would have never said this, but in my mind, I was thinking these women need help. I'm hearing their plight in Austin. I'm like, what can we do to help? And so I'm thinking, oh, here I go to help these women. And in reality, they ended up helping me. When I got there um, 12 years ago, I had no idea that sexual abuse as a child was so common within their population. And that's part of my story is overcoming childhood sexual abuse from the time I was five to 12. And, um, And so to see myself and 
And to see some of the same coping tendencies just fleshed out, you know, mm-hmm. in a in a really different middle class way, honestly. Um, but it's still the same brokenness. Um, gave me such a heart, so much deeper of a heart. And I really understood, oh, okay, God, like you didn't send me here to help them. You sent me here so they could help, you know, really mirror what so much of what that trauma did in my own life and how I coped with it. Because mm-hmm. really you can use religion, you can use drugs, you can use anything you want to cope. Um, it all has a different, you know, everybody uses something. So what is Brett's involvement with JSL? He is the co-CEO. So basically when I started um, this, just going on outreaches, he was like, I'll support you just doing this as your thing. And then he saw it growing, and it it didn't have a nonprofit structure at that time. It was just Emily doing this, you know, on the side, and he would drive me to the clubs and with my friends. And um, and then so he starts seeing this. We put up a Facebook page, you know, a a decade ago, and that was, like, novel, you know, Mm -hmm. getting a Facebook page. Mm -hmm. And within, like, 48 hours, it had, like, 5,000 likes. It had, like, a crazy amount. It had people from Egypt and France and, like, liking this Jesus Said Love page and, um, asking us questions. Can you bring it here? Can you bring it there? And and Brett was like, what What's going on right now? And so he really saw that that my vision needed a lot more structure to it. And um, while he is a visionary, he he has kind of this corporate um, hook to administrative things and can really develop. He makes he makes things come to life. It's the same with songwriting. I do lyrics and melody, and then he gets in there and he just produces the heck out of it and just takes it to new places and that's the exact same thing he did with Jesus Said Love. He gave it a lot more structure, pulled it up under our non existing nonprofit and gave it gave it a form. So in closing, how can people find Jesus Said Love? Where do we find you? And what are the greatest needs for the organization? How can people help? Um, We definitely need help. You can go to JesusSaidLove.com. We are on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter as well. Um, And you can visit us at 1500 Columbus if you're in the area. We should be open um, in the new year in January is our set to open date. Um, but we, we need volunteers. We've got a street team for college kids um, through our Campus Love Initiative. We are becoming, I think it's just becoming official that we are a student organization at Baylor University now, <clears throat> which is really awesome. And so we're excited for college kids to really take this idea of what it means to empower women on college campuses. I think that's a huge movement anyway across college campuses. Mm-hmm. It just really fits into the line of what we're doing. Um, we, de- we definitely need small business owners um, who are willing to be a part of our house of love, which is like business contacts. If you're a doctor, a lawyer, a dentist, um, attorney, a small bus- business owner that we can partner with to get you know, women connected. Um, of course, churches, nonprofits, individuals who just want to lend money and financial support you know, or sponsor part of our transition fund, part of our Dixie Fund, um, we definitely welcome that financial support. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Emily Mills, thank you so yeah, much for joining yeah, us on the Wake Us Up. Thank you. This is awesome. And until next time. We even next got to time, sing a little bit. Woo! Yeah, we have to have you back. Yeah. Okay. You to sing sing we'll do a 90s yeah, sing along day. Oh my God. Wouldn't that's that be fun? Happen. Wouldn't yes. that be fun? We'll do diva stuff for you. Austin, Austin okay. we'll do the divas. I love it. Yes. <laughs> well, until next time, Waco, we love you. Bye. Bye, Bye Waco.